Well, good morning. If you would, um, turn in your Bible to John chapter 1. That's going to be kind of our focus this morning, although we're going to look at some other passages as well. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to be following up with the uh, subject we started concerning the deity of Christ, all right, and uh, actually that was kind of launched out of looking at some of the Psalms that we did and uh, some other things involved in that, but uh, the deity of Christ is a, and really, I guess you could think of that kind of sounds like a big word or whatever, but the idea of who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and really the answer to that's uh, your answer to that personally is a very important thing. Um, trying to remember the reference right off the top of my head. I think it's somewhere in Matthew 22. But uh, the Lord Jesus, he asked uh, some Jewish leaders on occasion there during that, those last few days before he was crucified. Uh, he asked them, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And, uh, of course, they said the son of David. You remember that? And then that's when he followed that with another question from Psalm 110 that we had looked at where when he said, uh, basically it said, well, if he's David's son, how did David call him Lord? And he said, in spirit, in other words, by the Holy Spirit, referencing Psalm 110 and the inspiration of that Psalm, David called him his Lord there. And so, you know, again, throwing into the question there, who really is Christ? And on, an, on other occasions, you remember, uh, in Matthew 16, it's also, uh, I think it's Luke 8, but uh, where Jesus asked his disciples, his apostles, he asked them. First of all, he said, who do, who do men say that I am? And, of course, they got a variety of answers because people had a variety of answers for that. And then that's the occasion where Peter, well, he said, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter said, thou art the Christ the son of the living God, and, uh, and of course the Lord commended him for that and said, uh, you know, basically that he had, that had been revealed to him by the Father, and that's how he knew that. And in reality, again, two things, all right, who Jesus is is extremely, extremely important, all right? Uh, remember the key verse of the Gospel of John that... Uh, these things were written, chapter 20, verse 31, these things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, through believing, you might have life through his name. So salvation comes through having the right belief of who the Lord Jesus is. Now, when I use the word there, belief, and I think in the biblical context, the idea of belief is more than just kind of acknowledging facts, all right? It's a conviction as well. It's a conviction of truth, and, a, and involved in that is a submission of heart to Christ, all right? Understanding who he is, but also submitting oneself to him because of who he is and his claims uh, that he makes. And so... It's important, very important because of eternity, because of salvation. Uh, your salvation hinges upon who you really believe the Lord Jesus is. Um, and, of course, that goes for anybody. 
But then uh, also from a doctrinal standpoint, again, uh, we should be able to defend from the Bible, if defend is the right word, teach others from the Bible what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, obviously in some ways that's a lifelong learning, all right? I mean, because you'll never, ex I don't think anybody, any human living, even if they live a long life and, and devote much time to studying the Bible, they'll never exhaust what the Bible teaches about the Lord Jesus. I mean, he's far beyond uh, our, you know, even not just ability to think about, but our capacity probably to even hold the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. But who he is, is extremely important. And the passage we're, we're turn, that I asked you to turn to, John chapter 1, um, the first 18 verses, and, and I would imagine when, when uh, the life of Christ, the Gospel of John, kind of focused on a lot in that, was, was uh, studied in Sunday school, this passage may have been um, uh, obviously covered, and, and so I, I wasn't here at that point, I don't remember exactly what would have been said in this, but this is, this is probably uh, one of the key passages in all the Bible as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Um, uh, like many doctrines, all right, like many Bible doctors, many things in the Bible, um, there are references to it, there are statements made, things that you can glean throughout that are, that are scattered throughout the Bible, all right? And then there are certain passages that really focus on it and really kind of spend time and build, you know, build that doctrine, all right? Kind of like, for instance, um, the doctrine of the resurrection, all right? If, if, if we were to say, we're going to look at the, what the Bible teaches about the resurrection, is there a particular passage in the Bible that sticks out? I mean, some of you, uh, you, you should be thinking about a passage, uh, I would think, but I mean, there's, there's a chapter in the Bible that is often called the resurrection chapter. Now, um, Anybody know what that is? All right, 1 Corinthians 15 is, is a passage that teaches more than any other passage that I know of what the resurrection is and how, you know, what happens uh, in the resurrection uh, and so on. Now, when I say the resurrection, I'm not talking about the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the resurrection in general. Do you realize everybody will be resurrected? All right, everybody will. Uh, now, not everybody's going to be resurrected at the same time and for the same purpose, um, but everybody will be resurrected. But there's things about the resurrection that are taught throughout the, the, throughout the New Testament in particular, but throughout the Bible. Uh, but there are places, such as 1 Corinthians 15, where there are things that are really, it's just, it's just a big subject that's covered in a passage that really lays it out. Same thing with the rapture and, and pretty much any other doctrine, all right? But... The, the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, this passage, John chapter 1, is one of, the, one of the most important passages. There are a number, but this is one of the most important passages in the Bible concerning who he is. So let's go ahead. Um, I can't, while I'm talking, sit here and count everybody, but I know we probably have enough people to read this and not be short, shorting anybody in reading. So let's, let's read John chapter 1, 1 through 18. All right, and uh, we'll have, have Pastor Brinker start, and then I'll read, and then we'll just go around kind of the normal fashion there. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And and of its fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, the grace of truth came by Jesus Christ. No, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is the bosom of the Father, he declared him. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for... Uh, obviously, especially for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the truth that you've given us about him so that we can uh, understand who he is, uh, know him, and love him, and uh, have a relationship with you through him. And Lord, I pray that you'd uh, help our understanding to be uh, bettered this morning through uh, looking at these, uh, these portions of your word that we're going to look at today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And for his sake, we pray, amen. Last week, we, we, I gave you a handout. I don't have another one uh, necessarily for this morning, but it had kind of some background stuff. And when you're thinking about a doctrine like this, especially something that's as important as this in the Bible, um, there are some foundational uh, things that uh, obviously contribute to that. And I'm not going to take the time to go back through all of that uh, here this morning, but um, the Bible uh, obviously builds a foundation and then teaches us more off what's built on that foundation, expands on that uh, as, as God has given us his word. The Old Testament, all right, talks about God the Son. We, we saw some passages and we, we talked about some principles uh, concerning that. Now, compared to the New Testament for sure, and one could argue that what the Bible tells us about God the Son in the Old Testament is limited, all right? It is limited, but certainly it does tell us that uh, there, there is one called the Son of God. He, he, uh, he is uh, equal with God the Father. He's equal with Jehovah. He's considered and treated as God, all right? Um, again, what all that the, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament about that is somewhat limited, but it is there. And then in the New Testament, of course, the Lord Jesus is, is revealed in much more fullness. He's revealed to us in, in 
much, uh, much clearer light. In fact, really, in, in reality, the entire New Testament is a focus on, in some way or another, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, we have, obviously, a lot more in the New Testament. And if you remember, there was a list on that paper that I gave you last week on the back Toward the end of that, there was a list of various New Testament passages that really uh, are very important. They have a lot of uh, a lot to teach us about who the Lord Jesus is, and uh, we're going to try to focus on a couple of those today. And of course, John chapter one being one of those. I, I would say again, the the uh, probably one of the paramount passages there, but. There certainly are others that, that could have been listed there that aren't. These are just a few of those. But I want you to turn, if you would, to just a couple passages real quick, and then we'll get back to John chapter 1. All right, so hold your place there. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is one that I didn't put on that list. I probably should have. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is just a single verse, really, right now that we're going to look at. But 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> and then the last verse in the chapter, uh, verse 16. Here the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now, just right off, okay, just kind of, I mean, without giving a whole lot of, you know, uh, thought and attention to that, who do you think that verse is describing? Who does it seem that verse is describing? The Lord Jesus, all right? It seems obvious that that's the case, but, um, and, and, and it is, okay? Um, but notice in, in, without, again, just spending a whole lot of time here, the la the, what would be in the second line basically there, all right? God was manifest in the flesh. Just notice that statement there, all right? And uh, the points we were talking about last week, and we're going to uh, see, again, really uh, brought to clearer light even this morning, but God... God, right, and then was manifest in the flesh. So God was revealed as a man. He was revealed in flesh, all right? Now, obviously, that's not normal because there's man that God created and there's God, right? But there is one, one being that is taught to us in the Bible who is both God and man. And obviously, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But God was manifest in the flesh. Just as a little side note, this is one verse that you will always see uh, to some degree or another, uh, the Lord Jesus is attacked in, say, modern versions, all right? Because most of them will say either he who was manifest in the flesh or the one who is manifest in the flesh. They don't say God. Um, so obviously this is a very important uh, passage in light of that. And then go to Colossians chapter 1, just going kind of back toward the front just a little bit. Colossians chapter 1, and just several verses here 
to, uh, to point out and read. Colossians 1, let's begin in verse 15. Now, um, well, I guess if we, it, to, to actually get, the, go back to verse 13. Who hath delivered us? Now, the who here is giving thanks unto the Father in verse 12. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who, now the who here is, of course, the Son, the Father's Son, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and, notice, for him. Now, that last statement as far as created, all things were created by him and for him is important. We'll see something similar in John chapter 1, but it says all things, all right? And then verse 18, uh, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And there's a period there, so we'll stop. But, I mean, the truth about him goes on. But there's several things there, right? This one that's called the Son, you see that salvation's through him, obviously. But he's the Son of the Father, the Son of God. And it does uh, emphasize that he has a place of preeminence. He's to be honored and glorified, right? And it says that he's the one that's created how much? How many things? All things. Okay, again, that's important because we'll mention more about that in just a bit. Now, go back to John chapter 1, if you would. John chapter 1, let's focus on this passage. And uh, if we don't have time to get to Philippians chapter 2, um, I encourage you to look at that passage later, verses 5 through 11, particularly of Philippians chapter 2. It really it teaches the same thing that John chapter 1 does. It's a much shorter passage, but it teaches the same thing. All right, now John chapter 1. John's gospel is all about presenting the Lord Jesus so that you'll have the right belief of him, right? And so he begins, he has an introduction here, uh, introducing this one. And John has a special, in fact, he's the only biblical writer that uses this term, per se, of the Lord Jesus, he has a particular term that he uses of the Lord Jesus very frequently. It's, it occurs some in, his, in, in the epistles of John as well, but even in the book of Revelation, and we'll mention that in just a second, but that term is the word word, all right, that you see here. We read the passage already, but verse 1, in the beginning was the word, all right, um, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot about this word and the meaning of it and so on, but um, this is a special term that John uses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's, there's reasons for it and so on, but he is, he, I mean, you could, you could think of this in various ways. He's the 
the message from God. He's the one that came to, in fact, he says in this passage, verse 18 particularly, uh, that he's the one that came to reveal God, to declare God to men, all right? Uh, there are numbers of several purposes of why the Lord Jesus, God the Son, became a man, all right, and came to this earth. The first one that we pretty much automatically think of is so that he could, you know, come and die on the cross and be the Savior. And that's very important, obviously, okay? But there, there's, a, there's more than that as far as reasons why he came. And John even points out some of those reasons. Here, he emphasizes that he came to declare the Father. He came to show what God is like. And, um, and, and he, he makes statements in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus does, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, because he, as the Word of God, is the expression of God. Anytime, in fact, I, this is my conviction, all right, that anytime you see God appearing to man, Anywhere in the Bible, Old Testament, uh, you know, Genesis through Revelation, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? He is always the representation, the manifestation of God to man. Uh, he's the one that is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. He's the one who was, you know, Melchizedek, again, I believe, not everybody, you know, uh, but I believe that was the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, but he is always the one who reveals God to man. Um, as far as when I say the one, he is always the person of the Godhead, of the Trinity that reveals God to man. And then the Holy Spirit's role, if, you can, if I can word it this way, along with that is the Holy Spirit provides conviction so that people will believe that and Conviction to the ones who do believe that, that he's the one that enlightens us and, and brings that, if you want to say, truth home to our hearts so that we really believe it. Illumination, you could use that word, all right? Uh, but, but, um, but the Lord Jesus is always the fullness, he's always the manifestation of God to man um, and throughout the Bible, all right? But so what we believe about him obviously is important. Now, in this, in this passage, again, there's a lot here, and obviously time's limited, but there's several truths here that I want to point out to you. And if nothing else, just, just these several things are extremely, extremely important to always to, keep, to understand about the Lord Jesus, all right? But in the, and you, if you paid attention to the 18 verses that, that we read together, you'll see that the first Five verses, obviously, are introducing the Lord Jesus, and there's just a particular emphasis here on that. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second. And then you have three verses, or, um, yeah, three verses that uh, introduce John the Baptist here. Now, in all the other Gospels, John the Baptist is kind of introduced first, right? But here you have then John uh, introducing John the Baptist, whose role was what? to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus and to, uh, you know, to get people's attention pointed to him. John was never about trying to draw attention to himself. His job was trying to get people's attention and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is an example for us, of course. But uh, so you see John introduced in verses 6 through 8, and then the focus goes back on 
the Word, uh, the Lord Jesus here. And then in verse 15, you have another uh, uh, insertion here of John the Baptist. And then it gets back to the Lord Jesus in verses 16 through 18. And then uh, a long portion that uh, talks about John the Baptist's testimony of the Lord Jesus. All right. And so it's kind of intermingled here in the first 18 verses, but, but there are several things that are really um, honed in on about the Lord Jesus here. So first of all, I mean, in a big thing, okay, you could word it this way, that the first uh, four or five verses um, point out to us, demonstrate the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? And then later on, we'll see his humanity talked about. All right, but this is important, and the wording, all right? God gave us his word. God gave us the Bible in human language, all right? Obviously, right? Um, human language is important, all right, if we're going to study the Bible, all right? Um, he gave us his, and, and so it's not just words, Words are important, meanings of words and so on, but relationships of words are important, all right? Now, I know probably there may be a few people. Uh, when I was in school, as far as, you know, grade school, high school and that, I hated school, number one, and I hated English and grammar and all that kind of stuff. I hated it, all right? Couldn't stand it. Later on, all right, there were some things changed in my heart and life and everything, and learning grammar really helped me, all right, in, in studying the Bible, all right? Uh, and, and so try to think of grammar and, and language that way. It is a help in, in understanding the Bible because it helps us understand the relationships of words and so on, all right? So, and I'm not trying to give you a grammar lesson this morning because uh, nobody appreciates that, I guess, but... But you pay attention to the relationships of these words in these verses because it's extremely, extremely important. Right? So in verse 1, you can see, first of all, the, what you could call the eternality of the word, his relationship to time. All right? What's the first phrase in verse 1? In the beginning. That's a phrase that has to do with time. Right? It's, a, it's something to get your attention to it, its time. Where is, in fact, really the only other place that I know of in the Bible that we find this phrase? All right, Genesis 1.1, and everybody can quote that verse, right? It says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? Now, so, and, and when God created, he brought into existence time, I mean, think about this, before that, before God began creation, all right, there was no time. Because, I mean, God's eternal, he doesn't dwell in time. He is, I mean, those are deep thoughts to try to think about because we can't comprehend that. Every one of us is, everything in our lives is governed by time. But God brought time into existence he, he created time, he created space, in other words, the, 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 the spatial area that everything exists, this universe, you could say, and he created all matter, all right? Everything that exists and that is living, everything here 
in, on this earth, for instance, in, in outer space, is made up of something. And God's the one that brought all of that into existence. And then the rest of that chapter that tells what he did the first day, second day, so on, is just telling what he did with time, space, and matter and, and, and all. So here's the thing, all right? So let's, let's liken, all right, in the beginning. So at the point that God begins creation and he establishes time and so on, all right, what does this verse, John 1, 1, tell us about the Word or the Lord Jesus Christ? He already was. The word was is very important in this passage, right? It is... Uh, I'm, gonna try, I'm trying not to give you a grammar lesson, okay? But uh, the was here, the emphasis of the word here that's translated was is the idea that there was something continually existing already before the beginning because the relationship of the words, again, this is all related. These statements are all related to that phrase in the beginning. So at the beginning of time, when God, when beginning of creation, there already was someone, all right? And, of course, that is here, the Word. The Word was in the beginning. He already was in existence. He did not come, ab <coughs> excuse me, he did not come about in the beginning. He has no beginning. Now, again, that's hard to understand because everybody here has a beginning. But God has no beginning. All right, and so here the Word, God the Son, He already was in existence, already was being in the beginning. And then it says the Word was with God. So you have the Word's relationship to time, all right? He already was in existence. Uh, he, he predates the beginning of time and so on, which makes Him eternal. Now, according to the Bible, who is the only one that can be eternal, that is eternal? the one that has to predate time, right? All right, and God's the only one, right? But then verse 1 here says, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So this Word that's being introduced, described to us here, not only was in existence in the beginning, but He was existing with, and the idea is along with, God, or the natural connection in our mind here is God the Father, right? So he's there, and he's there with God. Again, this might seem frivolous, but this is extremely important in reality, okay? And then the next statement is what? And the word was, so again, it's the same, the word was is the exact same all three occasions here. He already was God. Now, that's very important as well. As it tells us, he not only was, he's existing, but he's existing along with God, the one that you know, most people would typically acknowledge as God, All right, which again kind of goes back to God the Father. He was there with him, but not only was he with him, he also is God. 
He qualifies, he meets the, the, the Bible criteria for being God. And the only way that he could do that is to have always been God, because as we mentioned last week, we didn't look at all the passages on, related to that, but God, for the essence of, of what the Bible presents about God, he has to have always been perfect and complete. If there was ever a time that he wasn't, he's not the God of the Bible. So in other words, there's no one that can become God or gods. And there are many religious thoughts and ideas that have that connected with it somehow, that, that man can become God. All those you know, ancient Greek gods that people talk about, Zeus and Mercury, they, were, they, they are supposedly you know, people who became gods through some whatever some feat that they performed or something of that sort. That's not God because that's not the God of the Bible. I mean, that's a God of people's imaginations, which is obviously an idol. Uh, And and so, uh, but the word was in the beginning already, already was in existence. He was with God, so distinguished. And the importance of that is he's distinguished in personhood from God the Father. But he also is God. He is deity. He is equal with God the Father in every way that God is. He is equal with God the Father, all right? But um, so his eternality, his, his deity. Now, by the way, there's, there's a group that, that uh, you'll notice, and it doesn't say it here, which it doesn't have to, but all right, in the last statement says, and the word was God. There are some all right, the, the, the Greek text doesn't have uh, the word the here, all right? And so uh, there are some that wrongly assume that the word a, uh, like the single letter a, a, uh, uh, has to be inserted here because like in English, for instance, you have, you have a definite article, the, or an indefinite article, a uh, or an, and that's typical for English, all right? But the language that the Bible, you know, the, uh, the Greek language, there's not a anything, there's no indefinite article, all right? The, pre, the article only, it's there for specific identity. The lack of the article is not the idea that he's a god. That's what I'm getting at here. Some people, they try to say that's what it means. That means he's a god, like he's not God the Father, but he's some kind of god. But no, he is God, just like God the Father. All right, because it's emphasizing his character quality as being God. All right, but anyway, then it says the same was in the beginning with God. Again, he existed with God, and the Father, Son, and Spirit had perfect existence and fellowship and everything before creation. They needed nothing. I, I've heard people say that God created man because he needed fellowship with man. He did not need anything from man. He doesn't need our fellowship. Right? If he, if, put it this way, if God needs anything, he's not perfect and complete. We need fellowship with God, yeah, but God doesn't need anything from us. All right? um, but the same was in the beginning with God. Now, verse 3, all things, this is similar to what we saw in Colossians 1, right? All things were made by him, and then notice, and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, there are some groups that teach that Jesus 
or then they'll even call him the son, that he was a that God the Father created God the Son. And then God the Son created everything else. That cannot be. All right, number one, he is not the God, he's not God if he was created. I mean, we've already talked about that. He has to have always existed and always been God, always been complete and perfect to be God, the God of the Bible. But the Bible emphasizes in numerous places that God the Son created everything. Now, if you want to get, again, technical, look at that, that means he, you know, if he was created, then that, he couldn't have created everything, all right, because he would have been a created being that he didn't create, but he did create everything, all right? And, and then uh, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then verses uh, 4 and 5 here, you see uh, the words relationship to his creation here. Notice verse um, Not only did he make everything that he created, he designed, created, brought into existence, all right? But notice uh, verse 4 and 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. All right, in him was life. Um, In 1 John, all right, John makes uh, the statement that God is light, right? Uh, And probably that has several connections with it, all right? God is light in the sense that God is majesty. He is brilliance, uh, you know, in a physical, I mean, every time you see any description of God's throne in the Bible, I mean, it's, it's something that is probably beyond my ability to describe, but I mean, it's magnificent. It's, it's majesty, it's splendor, it's brightness, and so on. God is light, but God is light also in the sense of He is knowledge. He's the one, I mean, everything, all right, uh, owes itself ultimately back to God. I mean, all the uh, uh, wonders of the universe, uh, I mean, has anybody ever been to the Creation Museum and seen the, uh, and I, they probably have changed it since then, I don't know, but in the planetarium, they had a, I think the particular show was called The Created Cosmos, I think, that's, that, that was it. But anyway, and it, it was a thing that talked, to, it was about the stars, all right, and, and they would just show, I mean, how far that these stars are and, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it just mind-blowing how immense and how big. But do you realize that even all of that, to us, I mean, that's just mind-boggling, but to God, that's nothing. I mean, and all the knowledge that man has accumulated in his existence, you know, in, in the history since creation, I mean, that, there's a lot of things. And, you know, they talk about today data. I mean, all the data that's available, I mean, on the internet or whatever, I mean, in books and, and so on. Even John, in John chapter 20, referring to writing about the Lord Jesus, he said, I suppose that the world itself couldn't contain all the books that could be written about Jesus. I mean, but just all of that. I mean, 
all of that owes its existence to God. I mean, God is light. He's the one that he is knowledge. And everything that man has been able to learn and accumulate and so on owes back to God, but it's just a drop in the bucket compared to God's knowledge. And then God is, is light in the sense of his holiness as well. He is light. In him is no darkness at all, 1 John 1 says. I mean, he's, he's holy. He is light, again, in that he's perfection. There is no, there's nothing wrong. There's no taint. You'll never find a speck of, of darkness in God. I mean, so he is light, all right? And then his relationship to his creation here, not only is the Lord Jesus the creator, the one that brought this into existence, but he's the one that gives it life. You know, people talk about uh, the Big Bang as far as evolution and all this. And, and I've heard a lot of things about, you know, all this. And, and, and even, even, okay, if a speck existed and exploded uh, and so on, all right, even if, and you're taking a lot for granted to even give it that because according to the creation of the Bible, there was nothing but God. God brought everything. He brought his own speck to the table, if you want to say. I mean, he brought everything into existence, right? But, but all of that, even, even giving, give, just for the sake of argument, give them that benefit of the doubt, all right? Still, where did life come from? Life can only come from life. I mean, you could watch a rock for, if you were able to stay around and watch it for a billion years, that rock's not going to come alive. I mean, God is the one that brought life and gave everything life. He is life. And he's the one that brought life into his creation. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, uh, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And I got to hurry up and close. But you see, okay, and this is, and there's more that could be said here, but clearly this passage is demonstrating that God the Son, the Word, is eternal. He is God. He's the one that brought everything into existence and gave it life and the ability to do what it does. It all owes itself back to Him, all right? But not only is he God, again, just for sake of time, jump down to verse 14. And again, the relationship of words is important, all right? And the word, the same being, the same one that we're talking about in the first number of verses here, the word, now notice the next three words, was made flesh. The Word always has been God the Son, eternal, deity, always has been. But there was a point in time when he became man. He hasn't always been man. He became man for specific reasons. All right? Notice the, the difference in the language. In the beginning was, already was, right? And then in verse 14, and the word was made flesh. You cannot correctly say, according to the Bible, that the word was made God. He's always been God. 
But there was a point in time when he became man. He was made. He became. And literally, you could, you could render this, the word became flesh. There's a point in time when he became flesh. He took on humanity. Obviously, a miraculous act of God, but life at the beginning is a miraculous act of God, right? But he became flesh. And that's, that's I mean, God becoming man and still being God, that, that's, that's not easy to kind of figure all that out. But it's clearly, it is clearly what the Bible teaches, right? He's God, always has been God, but he became man at a point in time. Now, there are reasons. And one of the passages that I had put on that list, uh, Hebrews chapters 1 and 2, teach us a lot, a lot about why, all right? He became man. And he had to become man in order to do certain things, to die, for one thing, God cannot die. He's eternal. He is life. He cannot die. He had to become a man in order to die. Again, that I mean, that's just, you know, trying to figure all the details of that out in our minds is probably impossible. But he had to become a man in order to die and, and to be the Savior and so on. But there's a lot, again, in those chapters in Hebrews that, that the Bible tells us about why he became a man, but he always, according to the Bible, the Word, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he always is God. Never has been, there been a time when he hasn't been and hasn't been God. And he's distinct from God the Father, yes, but he's still God. And there's a time, a point when he became man. He took on willingly. He wasn't coerced into it. That's part of what uh, Philippians 2 has to do with in that passage. He willingly became man. In fact, the, the wording that's used there, he became a servant. And he became obedient. That's wording that some people really struggle with associating with, okay, if he's God the Son, how can he be obedient? He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I mean, that was the whole part of the whole role of God the Son becoming a man so that he could be subservient and carry out the will of God here on this earth. And, and that includes everything in his life, including his death, burial and resurrection and so on. But this is an important matter. And uh, again, eternity hinges on it. Our eternity of what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be, we should be, equipped to be able to show people from the Bible this. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to accept what you say when you show it in the Bible. Um, but that's all, that's all we're responsible to do is, is give people the truth. We can't coerce people into the truth. And even Paul makes a big deal, by the way, of just plainly giving the truth and not trying to use, you know, uh, coercion and, and manipulation and so on into getting people to follow because they're not necessarily following that way, right? And so it's important that we, we show the truth and allow the Holy Spirit, he's the one that has to impress that truth on people's hearts so that they come to that conviction themselves and they embrace that truth. So let's, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this 
particular area of truth in your word. And we uh, just pray that you'd help us to be uh, just stalwartly stand on it, believe it, and preach it and practice it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.